The Mac Observer is Mac Geek Gab number 240 for Thursday, January 28th, 2010. <laughs> premium edition of the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap. That's right. This is only for you premium subscribers, and we're happy to be here. I'm Dave Hamilton, of course, in Durham, New Hampshire, and it's 830 in the morning and uh, having <sighs> Mateen-infused tea that, uh, that's got, got me going. My morning thunder. Same here. <laughs> and this is John F. Braun in uh, currently somewhat snowy Fairfield, Connecticut. We're just uh, getting a little dusting here, though I think it's going to turn to rain. So, uh, so it's still winter. And yes, I, I got the job of going here. So uh, I don't know. I don't know, Dave, if, if we start, if we're going to be able to stop. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll run out of steam, I'm sure. But uh, but we'll probably run out of steam long after we uh, we stop recording here. So we have uh, normal questions, normal follow ups, normal tips. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we would be remiss if, you know, we talked about this mythical, you know, unicorn laden tablet uh, the other night when we did the show. And we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what it actually has become which of course yesterday was the ipad uh they did yeah that's right <laughs> now oh, now john we, we should be we should be fair last night you did uh, a mac roundtable recording with a cast of uh, of thousands uh, uh well, well eight i believe it was eight and then i gotta say skype handled it very well so yes a uh, whole bunch of mac podcasters from all over the place and uh, and i gave my thoughts so uh you know i tweeted out the link to that and you know macroundtable.com you uh go there and you can get the thoughts of uh of me and uh and a whole bunch of other uh, uh mac folk but um so i think why don't we give you a chance dave to, to say okay. your thought now i'll pepper it with a, a few of my thoughts here but uh yeah i'd, I'd like to get your spin because uh, initially when you and i talked I was uh, well in what my imagination, what the device could have been. I was I was somewhat negative, and and I think I've uh, I've, I've been swayed a little bit away from that direction. So, uh, what did you think? Okay, so I said the other night. It's good to it's good to preface this. What I said the other night was Apple's not in a position where they have to release anything. So this thing has to you know totally amaze the world. Otherwise, they're just fine with what they're doing. And then they released the iPad. And halfway through the announcement, you know, I was watching, uh, thank goodness, Leo Laporte snuck a camera in. So I was watching the video feed uh, right there on, on the web. And halfway through, I said to myself, why are they doing this? I don't I mean, it's cool. I'm sure it's a very fluid UI, you know, all that stuff that Apple does. Right. We'll just take that for granted. But, but let's not dismiss it because it is important. Right. I mean, that's the reasons we all like to use Macs. Uh, and iPhones and, and all those other things. So, OK, that's cool. But gosh, you know, it's not that there's nothing magical to use Apple's term or even revolutionary about it. And I'll say yet. Um, but I, but here's the deal. You know, w as a consumer, would I order one? No, uh, but I will because mm. of, you know, because of our we, what we do here and what we do at TMO. I mean, it's important to have one. Uh, so I'll, I'll have it. But, you know. There's a couple of things they didn't talk about. Now, now, remember, there's a minimum 60 day window here uh, for them to not only change software features, uh, but also to change hardware features. Right. I mean, we saw that in a very limited sense with the original iPhone, where the screen went from plastic to glass and, you know, this, that and the other thing. 
Uh, it's also possible for them to add, you know, the, I know a lot of people have been talking about a missing camera. Well, th- there's nothing to be said that that can't be added uh, before this thing ships. I don't think it will, but, uh, well, but, it's, uh, but it's possible. Well, one thing I noticed, though, if you noticed at the end, uh, so I watched the video. Uh, I, I didn't see the, uh, the the Steve video yet, though. They posted okay. that right around the time that we started doing the uh, Mac Roundtable. But uh, you'll notice at the end of the video that, uh, you know, they had Johnny Ive and all those people is at the end it said, oh, by the way, FCC approval pending. Sure. Yeah, of course. The FCC could be a bunch of jerks or or if this thing is, you know, like radioactive, they may not um, yeah, not approve it. But but I would say that the design is pretty much at least the hardware design is 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 pretty much a given. Yeah, well, yeah, perhaps, right? I mean, it, we'll, we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, okay. So as far so let's assume though that the hardware's locked, right? For software features, you know, the first thing that came to mind was okay. This would be potentially a perfect, you know, float around in the living room family, you know, use device. But to to be that, right? You know, if let's say I want to check my email and then my daughter wants to check her email or whatever, just having this thing there. Oh, I want to look up something on the web. Okay. Psh- you know, good to go. And it's all right there. Just very much tip of the finger sitting on the coffee table kind of thing. But in order to be that device, it needs to support, uh, you know, some sort of multi-user a la Mac OS X's fast user switching. Right. You know, that that that's to me that that's something very mandatory if the device is going to function that way. Now, the iPhone clearly doesn't. That's clearly a very personal device. And because this thing runs iPhone OS, I wonder how much of that we'll ever see, right? Uh, um, well, I'm wondering because, I mean, the, uh, for example, by touch, you, you can um, have it handle multiple email accounts. So I wonder if they're going to tweak some of the apps to uh, – no, you bring up a great point. I think that, that's very important. If uh, Yeah, they, they, if this is a single-user thing, that yeah, it wouldn't lend itself to what you're suggesting, which is multiple users in the household uh, be able to use it. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you know, as far as other other software features, uh, you know, the one thing that they didn't really talk about was uh, or one of the things was like TV subscriptions, right? Magazine subscriptions. Yes, it has a book reader in it. OK, that's that's been established. But, you know, what are those going to be? Well, and, the, and Apple even said we're going to start working on that tomorrow, i.e. today. So they have some time to to flush out the platform. And I think we're going to see a lot more in the next 60 days along those lines. Right. And I think that's part of why, I mean, Apple had to keep it hidden. Therefore they couldn't submit to the FCC, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but I think that's part, the other part of the reason is they wanted to announce this platform. And then by the time they release it, have it be even more than it is today. And that's smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's fine. But uh, you know, the, uh, the one thing so, so again, but, uh, you know, it leaves me sort of lackluster. It's like, well, OK. Now, granted, I haven't held one yet. Right. They're all on the West Coast. I'm here on the East Coast. Um, and, and so there's, there's going to be some of that tactile love. Right. I mean, this is going to be like one of those pieces of crack that we hold in our hands and we can't let go. Right. I mean, that, that, that's what Apple makes. So that's fine. And we can I accept that. One thing that Apple did yesterday really struck me as odd at first. And then I felt like I had a glimpse into the future. And that was at the end of the, the presentation, they started talking about accessories for this thing, which I thought was really, really weird. You know, here's a device. It's not going to be out for 30 days or 60 days, rather. And mm-hmm. Apple rarely talks about device accessories anyway. And here they're talking about them for a device you can't even get yet. So I thought, wow, that's really bizarre. 
And one of them was a case and I was like, okay, that's cool. It, you know, allows you to kind of stand it up and protect it and, you know, different things and multifunction case. Okay. Well that, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and then they showed this keyboard, right? And, and remember this iPad or not remember, but if you don't know the iPad, like the iPhone has a 30 pin dock connector, just like the iPods and iPhones uh, on the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And this keyboard will uh, it, it's a it's a combination stand and keyboard. Think of it like an easel stand, right, where you pop this thing in. It props up the screen right in front of the keyboard. And now you can type and see this thing. And of course, the thing has a software keyboard on it and reports have been mixed uh, but you know that after a while you get used to it, probably similar to the iPhone, maybe even easier than the iPhone. Cause you can use all 10 fingers. But when I saw that, it was like, okay, wait a minute, you know, fast forward, maybe not even five years, maybe two or three years, right? Now you've got this device. It's got this dock. You come back to your desk, you pop it in. Now imagine this thing is Way more powerful than it is today, right? Which, of course, it will be. I mean, that's just how it's going to work. A faster processor, more RAM, better battery life, you know, all that good stuff. And now you've got this device. You pop it in at your desk. Not only is it connected to a keyboard, but it's connected to another monitor. And it's got its networking connection and all that stuff. And, you know, you're there at your desk. You do whatever you need to do. And then, like you do with your laptop now, you simply grab the device, pull it out of the dock, and walk away. And, you know, you've got so now you've got a fully powerful computer with you and uh, and and you come back to your desk and you've got this comfortable scenario similar to what we all do today with our with our laptops, but in an even sexier, you know, more fluid form factor. Mm-hmm. But I do think it, it gives a nod. And, and this is where I, I just want, I want to make one point, mm-hmm. which if this had been and this is why I was initially negative. Um, with the, the whole concept of a tablet, or at least what uh, what the the you know PC people did with you know when they had Windows XP tablet edition, if uh, that the, the thought back then was you know let's make something without a keyboard and then see if people can figure out why they'd want it. Right. And, and to me, that was the totally wrong approach. And I absolutely hated the ones that didn't have a keyboard. They had some hybrids right. that you could use a keyboard. And to me, yeah. So both the the wired keyboard. Uh, and from what I understand, you can also use a Bluetooth keyboard, which oddly enough, you can't do with the other devices that have Bluetooth for whatever reason. And maybe they're doing that intentionally to segment it. But right. if this thing did not allow keyboard use and you had to use this, you know, on-screen keyboard, which, you know, similar to the netbooks, it doesn't look like a full-size keyboard. I would hate it. I'd, I'd use it as a Frisbee instead of a... So I think that was a good move. And it, it kind of, it's a nod to people like Palm. Remember the Palm? Yeah. They had little keyboards. I mean, it made it look kind of weird. That you had a big keyboard next to this tiny little thing, but some people were actually able to use a palm as a, you know, kind of productivity because you could uh, type with a real keyboard. So, so I, I, that that to me um, showed that you know that their thinking was moving in the right direction. It, it is, but but here's here's the issue I have, right? Because there's some fundamental changes that have to take place, and and when I say changes, I mean of course this product's brand new, but it's based on the iPhone OS, right? Which is a uh, subset, or maybe maybe a uh, it shares features with the Mac OS. It shares a core with the Mac OS, but it, but it has some substantially different uh, frameworks and and characteristics. And there's a couple of those things that have to change in order for that model. That that future vision that, that 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 I feel like I saw a glimpse of yesterday work, and those are a it needs to support multiple apps running at a time. You know, I don't want to have to have a document open in uh, 
you know, in, in pages, let's say, and then I want to switch over to keynote. Now I come back to pages and it's got to relaunch the app. No, 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 no. You know, you got to let me run multiple apps at once. And there's a couple of ways to do that. I don't want to go into those right now, but, but you know, there, there's a couple of ways to do that and still keep the, the, the machine safe and sane. Uh, the other thing it needs is some sort of open file system. Now, from what I understand that already exists. And when I say open file system, I mean a common file system that all of the apps on the iPad can write to in one place and share data and then also can be synced with your Mac. From what I understand, that may already exist when you put when you plug this thing into a Mac or Windows machine, a shared files folder pops up. Uh, So so perhaps that's already been covered. And if it has great. And the other thing is. You know, it, it, during the demo, they showed this great calendar app that Apple has baked into to this device. And it's like, OK, that's cool. It's better than the iPhone calendar. It's got, you know, a week view. It's got this. But, you know, Apple doesn't get calendars as far as I'm concerned. They don't do task management properly. There's, you know, there's a, really I mean, it, they just don't do it properly for me and many others. I'm not saying everyone, but but there's a sizable population that say that the, the iPhone and even iCal are totally underwhelming and we need more mm-hmm. if apple continues to keep a stranglehold on what apps can be used on this device then it's you know more like an iphone less like a mac less open means i'm less likely to make it this device that i cart around with me if apple dictates everything that i can do with it you know if they if they say oh well uh you know we're not going to let third party calendar apps on it because that duplicates functionality of the ipad well, that's BS. You know, it's like, okay, well, you're, you're shooting yourselves in the foot. Let the platform be a platform. Don't restrict it. And, and I say that based on what we've seen, of course, with the iPhone. Perhaps their plans for the iPad are different. Uh, so that's, okay. that's yeah. I'll, I'll toss out a few things. And yeah. Then, uh, the, yeah, we'll see. Uh, there, there, I actually do have an app. Um, it's called Discover. It runs on the Touch and, and the iPhone as well. Mm-hmm. And it does give you a file server and access to the file system. But but then uh, here's my thinking here uh, also, Dave, is that um, I'm going to push back a little bit because I don't know if you want to think of this in, in the paradigm of a traditional uh, Mac or PC computer with a file system. I think this is more, I'm going to call it an application platform. And, and I think uh, people that approach this that, that don't know how a Mac or PC should work, uh, like for example, do you really need to be able to run, uh, to do tasking to run multiple apps as long as you can effectively switch among them i think that's cool um speaking of apps one thing that really caught my attention i work you can buy individual pieces now that's interesting right, i think we've dealt with john's uh, skipping there so so continue the, the, you said it was an application platform right well that's sort of the, I, I think you may want to approach this device with a with a different mindset so so i think we've we've kind of been you know we think i think in terms of how a a mac or pc should work and that it should have a file system and should have apps and multitasking and all that fun stuff here i'm just wondering if and and i think once i get my hands on this we get our hands on this uh maybe a light bulb will come on but but uh, you may have to change your expectations because i I think they're targeting uh just a different mindset here or maybe they're just working with the limitations of the uh, iphone os um yeah I, I think they need to open that up a little bit. I, I mean, I, think about it. It, it. You know, if you're going to have iWork on there, right, 
don't you want to be able to to share those files? A, I want to be able to bring, you know, a numbers spreadsheet into Keynote, right? Sure. I also want to be able to sync my numbers documents with my Mac. That's, those are obvious things. But right mm-hmm. now, that's not possible with the iPhone. You, you talk about this, this, this Discover app. The, the app, like every other app on the iPhone currently, is a walled garden, right? It can transfer files to and from your Mac, but only that mm-hmm. it can see. It cannot share those files with other apps on your iPhone or your iPod Touch. Right, right. Right. So, so that has to change. And like I said, I, fr- from the early reports that I hear, I think that may have changed in, in iPhone OS 3.2, which is what's currently running on the iPad. So, so I think that's possible. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's the first wall that's going to come down. Uh, I hope the multitasking mm-hmm. wall or the multiple apps active at once wall uh, comes down and, uh, and, you know, and we'll, we'll, see where, we'll see where the rest falls. Um, one last thing I want to say, I I heard a lot of people yesterday saying, John, that this is, oh, that's it. The Kindle is dead, blah, 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 blah. Uh, never once, and I'm going to be a little snide here, uh, never once during jobs, uh, speech or anybody else's speech yesterday or any Apple press releases or any official announcements. Did I see that Apple is specifically disabling the Kindle app for use on the iPad, right? Uh, it, the Kindle is more than the device. It is a platform and Amazon sells lots and lots of books to people that don't own Kindles. Why? Because they have a Windows app. There's a Mac app coming. They have an iPhone app. You can read these books on devices other than the Kindle. And there's plenty of people doing that. So uh, I, I really don't think the Kindle platform will die because of this. In fact, I think if anything, this helps the platform. Now, does it? Uh, cannibalized device sales, perhaps we'll see, you know, battery life on this thing is nothing compared to the Kindle, right? You know, I mean, it doesn't even come close. So, uh, and it's a backlit screen. I, I don't Mm -hmm. like reading for long periods on a backlit screen. I very much prefer the experience of the e-ink on the Kindle. So we'll, we'll have to see, but certainly the Kindle as a platform is not dead with this device. Oh yeah. Well, he gave him a nod. He even said we're we're standing on their shoulders. He gave them a very nice compliment. And Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, the only thing that, that they may lose. Yeah. As you said, it's hardware sales, but if it helps sell more books, they don't care. And also I wonder if he, you know, making agreements with all the publishers is just like with the, uh, um, with the iPod that brought the music industry kicking and screaming into the, you know, uh, the, you know, the current, uh, <laughs> you know, way that people want to buy books, the, uh, maybe the publishers, uh, you know, this will help, you know, invigorate the, the marketplace for, uh, for eBooks. Yeah, it, I think, I think it will. I think it definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. No question. No question. All right. Uh, speaking of questions, John, is it yes, time to move see. on to Tim? Absolutely. Hi guys. Tim in Chicagoland calling. I have a question for you regarding traveling with an airport express. I, like Pilot Pete, spend my share of time in hotels across the country, and a lot of times I'd like to travel with my airport express so that I have wireless connectivity in my room, uh, iPhone, sometimes a game console, that kind of thing. My question is, it seems that most hotel chains have gone to a system where you have to be on a web page that's auto-directed through their DNS server where you can accept their terms uh, even for free Wi-Fi or free Internet connectivity, uh, you have to actually click the magic accept button. The question is, if I don't have my laptop with me, but I have my Airport Express, is there a way to accept their terms or to get the Internet connection started 
uh, without actually having an interface through the Airport Express to do that. Uh, any help would be greatly appreciated. It would save me from carrying my laptop for nothing but pushing the accept button. Great show, guys. Love it. Been listening to you since just about day one. So keep it up. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. All right, John, you want to uh, you want to run with this one? Well, I'm going to say, at least with the Airport Express, I'm not aware of a way to tell it, oh, by the way, when you see this screen, which the problem is, is that some of them are different. Sometimes you got to check a checkbox. Sometimes you got to click on a button. I don't, since there's no standard for this sort of thing, I don't think there's any way you could automate it. It'd be really cool if there was a way to hack it. But I think what he's going to have to do is find the cheapest, or not cheap, least expensive uh, device that gives you a web browser. Uh, and I think you suggested when we were talking beforehand, Dave, is, you know, get on eBay or look in the refurb store and get the, the absolute lowest end iPod touch that you can. Or, you know, another, uh, it doesn't have to be an Apple device. No. That would be nice. Um, but yeah, I don't know of any way you can automatically press that button. It's, it's always annoying because who's going to not agree to whatever, you know, legal mumbo jumbo is there. I mean, you, you want to get there and, and surf. That's right. That's right. Find somebody so that, that like threw away their Blackberry bold. Uh, because they wanted to get an iPhone, right? And and you, all you need is the Wi-Fi connectivity on it. That's it, you know. And and then you're good to go. I don't I don't know. I don't know what the cheapest option is, but uh, but there's something out there. So, but a mini challenge, maybe. Uh, but maybe someone yeah. makes a device whose sole purpose is to connect to a Wi-Fi access point, so you can, you know. Press the, uh... <laughs> the problem is, you'd still need a screen on it, you know. Yeah, so yeah. That, I think you're you've got some some basic costs that that aren't. Uh, unsubstantial right i mean you've got a screen you've got a wi-fi circuit you've got to have some input device it has to work (laughs) you know it's got to have a battery presumably although you could you know if somebody's got an ipod touch that the battery's dead that's fine you know you bring a a little usb charger and you're good to go right you just plug it in and you do your thing and then you put it away so yeah all right uh moving on to john we'll get a little geeky here uh John writes, I happened to get up in the middle of the night last week, and even though the screen was still asleep, the fan was running full blast on my MacBook. The menu meters were pegged, but there shouldn't have been anything going on short of a time machine backup, and that wasn't happening. I opened Activity Monitor, and it showed off that an HP Supply Tools application was the culprit. I couldn't figure out a way to stop it, and canceling it with the Activity Monitor didn't work. So after trying everything I could think of, I was forced to restart the computer to get it to end. My questions are, one, any thoughts about what caused the problem? And two, is there a way to end this activity other than through the activity monitor? I've included other related screenshots. Yes, of course. All right. Uh, And thank you, John, of course, for uh, subscribing to us here in the uh, in the premium version. Uh, You want to you want to run with this one, John? Uh, I'll give it an uh, HP supply tools. Uh, the only thing, well, no, I think he mentioned this, uh, but, but if he didn't, I mean, I, I have seen sometimes when a document is stuck in, in a print queue. Yep. Is that some printers just get stupid and that <laughs> they, they will try their darndest to try to print something, even though there may not even be a printer or device there. Um, so yeah, we've seen that before. So, so, you know, just double check to, to make sure there's nothing stuck in the, in the, in the print queue. Um, Short of that, now I think what happens, so Activity Monitor is, uh, does show you a, a lot of important information, and that is certainly a good first step. Uh, the piece of information that you want to keep your eye on, because we're going to geek out a bit and we're going to ask that you go to the terminal, is uh, the process ID. 
So every process on the Mac has a numerical process ID. What you want to do is make note of that, and then here's where we dive into the terminal. Um, there is a command called kill. What kill does, and, and I think what happens is Activity Monitor is executing a version of kill, but it's not a strong enough version. So, so normally, you can type kill in just the process ID, but you can also add an optional switch that is like the level of kill. And, and, and I believe... Uh, what Activity Monitor does is it does a very polite, you know, kill when you when you try to stop a process. I think the switch is uh, fifteen or term. I think. Yeah. Which is just you know saying you know please can you can you can you kind of stop doing what you're doing. Uh, based on what I know, the most severe version of kill is is like a double kill. Is that you say kill then dash nine or dash kill, and the process ID. And I think that's almost guaranteed to destroy any process. Now, it's not the most elegant way to get rid of it, but it's, if it's between that and powering down, I, I would choose a, 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 you know, a double kill versus powering the machine down because that, that's, that's really bad. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's, that's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a couple of things. I think he was restarting the computer with the standard restart. So that's not so bad. That is going to force kill processes, but but properly shut the machine down. So that that's better than like like we were saying, you know, pulling the plug or or something like that. Um, with the kill command, uh, it's important. At least I believe it's important that you get your cases right. Uh, when you type the command name, the first instance of kill, it's all lowercase, K-I-L-L, then a space, then the dash. And then if you're going to do nine, uh, that's fine. That's just a number and there is no case. Uh, but if you're going to type kill there because you can't remember that it's nine, all caps, K-I-L-L, uh, and then a space and then the process ID. If you don't know the process ID or you don't want to look it up. Uh, and you know that there's only one instance of this app running, which in most cases is going to be true, at least with applications that you've run in your Mac. Uh, you can use the command kill all. And the benefit of kill all is you do kill all. You do the same space dash nine or dash all caps kill and then a space and then the process name. Uh, so it, but the but the. The thing to know is that it's going to kill all instances of that process. Now, again, if there's only one, it doesn't matter. But if there's multiples, you know, it, it's handy. If you want to kill the dock, you can type kill all space dock and boom, the dock goes away. Right. You don't have to look up the, the thing. If you want to kill the finder, kill all space finder. Boom. It goes away. You don't have to worry about looking up the process ID. Now, uh, there is there, there are some instances where this is. This will not work. And, it, and that's if a process goes into, I, I think the proper term is the zombie state where it, it you know, uh, it, it's sort of there, but not there and it can't go away. And, and you know, something is just seriously foobar uh, at that point. Rebooting is the only answer to, to coming back around with it, I think. So. Yeah. OK. And I did notice that uh, actually uh, so, so there are two levels of uh, kill in uh, activity monitor. When, when you say quit, it says quit or force quit. So quit, I think, is equivalent to the normal, you know, quit from the application menu. And I guess the force quit is one of the less severe um, versions of kill. So. I think that's right, John. Yeah, that's right. A regular quit, it sends it, it's, it's like you go to the file menu and choose quit inside the app. I think that's right. Yeah. So something like this, it sounds like this is not a user, uh, you know, an app that even has a UI. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm looking at the name of it. You know, it's HP Supply Tools. I, 
my assumption would be that this is an app that's monitoring the printer for yes. ink levels or paper mm-hmm. supply, right? Or, or or both. And and perhaps it lost contact with the printer or it got some data and it just got stuck in the loop. I mean, it you know, this stuff happens. It, we look at Safari, right? It's the it's the biggest mm-hmm. hog in the world. So uh, it mm-hmm. does happen. All right. Uh, we, John, we already have an iPad question. <laughs> wow. Hello, Dave. Hello, John. Hello, Pete. I'm driving home from work on Monday, January 25th, thinking that we got a big Apple announcement coming up in two days, which led me to thinking, if the new tablet is running the iPhone operating system, and they expect me to buy this thing, which I probably will do at some point, and I'm supposed to browse the web and go to my Facebook account, and play my Farmville and whatever else I want to play that relies on uh, you can say Flash. It. Flash. Does that mean the iPhone will now be getting Adobe Flash? What are the comments for you? Cut me off. All right. <laughs> uh, so during the stream yesterday, John Jobs navigated to a website, mm-hmm. and there was that telltale. Plug-in missing flash icon there, uh, and and he definitely you know he's a he's a seasoned showman, right? You know he definitely navigated past it, didn't mention anything about it. Off he goes, uh, but but that didn't stop everyone else from noticing either. Uh, so clearly in this iteration, uh, the iPad does not have flash support. The big problem with flash support is CPU usage. It is a major resource hog. Uh, there was some testing done. I think John, I thought I saw John Welch doing a bunch of testing on, on uh, the, the web the other day. You can follow him on Twitter at Binky, B-Y-N-K-I-I. But I will warn you, not only is he uh, profusely profane, but he is also uh, quite prolific on Twitter. So profusely profane and pro- prolific. Uh, you will be deluged with tweets. And heaven forbid you get into a conversation with him. He will engage until you don't stop. Uh, But I love the guy to death and he's very, very smart. So I do continue to follow him. And he went through and compared video playback using Flash because now YouTube uh, and other video engines have an HTML5 player baked in, uh, which allows them to play video on browsers without Flash. And he compared CPU usage on his Mac using Flash for for one video and then HTML5 for the same video. And it was, you know, half the CPU usage or less when doing HTML5 as, as compared to Flash. So Adobe's got a problem on their hands. Remember, you know, Flash wasn't, to be fair, Flash wasn't built to do video out of the gate. It was sort of baked in after the fact. But uh, their CPU usage, you know, some of those apps like Farmville and all those, I mean, they can just spiral a browser out of control uh, so there's gotta be something in there that, that, that makes it more efficient before, before it makes sense on low power devices where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're forcing the CPU to run lower so that it conserves power and, and therefore extends battery life. Mm-hmm. And you've got, uh-oh. you've got, Oh, John, they're coming to get you. <laughs> no, no, people are. <laughs> You know, you'd think people that live in Connecticut would learn how to drive, even in little fluffy snow. Now, I'm sure somebody's <laughs> playing bumper cars out there. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I'm, I'm going to wait a bit before getting on the roads. Play, playing bumper cars. <laughs> That's I what like. they do. These people don't, you know, come on. All right, everyone, gonna, everyone every, stand and applaud for Mr. John F. Braun. I love it. Just, <laughs> just remember your physics course, okay? Friction. 
momentum. It's it's easy. <laughs> Even if you got an SUV, I, you can't fight ice and and loss nope. of traction. Anyways, the four wheel um, drive button is not a shields button. I think that's the biggest no. uh, the biggest misnomer out there. Yeah. Well, to me, the other solution to just you know save the world is everybody gets bumper cars. You get a big. <laughs> things surrounding every vehicle that's just a big thing of foam or something and then you can just you know bump into other people and uh anyways um <laughs> no, no, like observation here. that's good go yeah go um one observation here um I, i'm gonna shake my fist a bit in the to me insisting on flash and and some people may disagree with me but, but insisting that your audience use flash to me is poor web page design because not everybody has flash. Now I'm not going to say that you should get back to the, the area, you know, the world of links where it's a text only page. Though even then I'd argue that a page should be able to render to a certain minimum standard, but, but to insist that someone needs flash. And as you're pointing out, Dave, there are other ways to present animation and other content. Um, so I don't know. I'm, to me, it's a, it's a little fish shake against people that, that uh, just like uh, we have, for example, in the workplace, we have some we have this one page that someone put together for for some, you know, uh, data tracking or time tracking application. And I have to run IE because they used uh, Internet specific plugins. I went to it with Firefox and the thing was dead to me. I couldn't enter any information. Then I see a little note. Oh, built using, you know, Microsoft, blah, blah, plugin, whatever. And it's like, you know, that's another thing. So. I don't know if you can at all when you do a page, you know, t- try to accommodate as many people as you can. Uh, y- you know, I would. As a purist, I agree with you, but as a realist, mm. yes. I-, I think Apple's being unrealistic about this war against flash. I think instead and, and perhaps, you know, again, we don't know everything that happens behind closed doors. Perhaps they are being realistic about it and attempting to work with Adobe, although it's been several years and we haven't seen anything yeah. for the iPhone. There's some bad blood between the two companies, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, it's certainly not the best of relationships, right? But, uh, y- you know, the thing is, flash is a reality on the web today. It is installed sure. in every browser on the Mac. I believe it's installed in Windows, but I may be incorrect on that. Um, but but, it you know, it's certainly on every Mac. It's a safe assumption that if you're targeting Mac users, uh, you have Flash to work with. And and it's a fairly safe assumption that if you're targeting targeting anyone on the Web, you have Flash to work with. You know, YouTube up until very recently required it. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. and and that's true of of other uh, of other services as well. Uh, you know, things like what is it? uh Hulu uses Silverlight. Is that right? I'm trying. No, Netflix uses Silverlight. I'm trying to think. Mm. Uh, I think uh, I forget. But whatever. You know, there's there's enough of a baseline out there where Flash is a reality. Uh, yes, there are now better ways to do animation and and even video streaming without Flash. But that wasn't the case uh, in a in a broad sense uh, until you know fairly recently. So I. <laughs> It, it, I, again, I agree with you, you know, but, but flash has almost become a standard on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah you I'm know, with you. it is what it is. And it, and it's way more efficient. You know, if you want to do an animation and you do it in a GIF file, as opposed to a flash mm-hmm. file, the GIF file is going to be half a meg, uh, you know, whereas a flash file can be, you know, 40 K. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's some, there's some benefit there, a huge benefit. No. So now there is a hack. Now I have not tried this and I assume this would work on the iPod touch. And uh, from what I hear, it's on the iPhone. It's something called Gordon, which is an open source flash runtime written in JavaScript with a uh, SVG. 
Um, I haven't tried it yet. I, I think we should give it a, a whirl. Supposedly, it'll let you run some Flash content. Um, the other observation is that now the uh, the iPad has a one gigahertz processor. Um, yeah. The the A four processor, which I think this is the result of a recent acquisition. Um, yeah, it's a, 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 a can't think of yeah, PA semiconductor, right? It's like an ARM type processor is, is what it is. Yeah, right. Which it has to be because that's the uh, yeah because all the other devices use a ARM core right. at least at this point. So right. um, so maybe they'll decide that you know this mach- machine does have enough uh, oomph to uh, to run Flash without you know totally draining your battery or giving you a unpleasant experience. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a PA semiconductor chip, which of course Apple acquired. So that's why now it's an Apple chip. Um, but it says the main processor is an arm cortex, a nine, and then it's got some other stuff around it. It's a whole system on chip sort of, sort of deal. Uh, Yeah, no, it's, it's cool technology. I mean, Apple was smart to acquire them, you know, no, no reason to pay a, uh, a, a profit premium on every chip. If you can just buy the company and then control the development. So well, we've and we've seen what happened in the battle days when they were kind of uh, at the uh, the whim of the major chip manufacturers. That's uh, true. You know, giving them what they needed. I mean, we saw the whole thing with Motorola or you know the the older chips uh, and them just not cutting it. And uh, I still smile when the, 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 there must have been that you know moment when uh, you know they were talking with uh, uh, IBM or the consortium that made that chip, saying you know we really need one in a in a you know in a portable device and. Uh, and they responded to Apple, well, what are you going to do? Run it on another processor? And he's like, as a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. tend to work on Intel. Get out of the room now. I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see that moment because I'm sure it was totally unexpected because I, I'm sure the, the guys that made the old processor didn't didn't expect him to have that uh, you know, be able to be able to even play that card. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's the ace in the back pocket for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, moving on. To Connor's question. Hey, John and Dave, this is Connor. I am calling for uh, for an iPhone question. I have a radio in my car that has both a USB and Bluetooth audio uh, abilities. I'm actually using it to talk to you now, but. I want. I always play it over the USB because I don't like Bluetooth audio. It doesn't sound very good, but they're both set up in the phone because when you set up the Bluetooth for the calling, it also sets up the Bluetooth for the uh, HDP audio. So I plug in my iPod and I start driving and it's playing through the USB. And then my iPod, my iPhone finishes pairing or not pairing, but connecting up to the radio and it switches over to doing, going over Bluetooth audio, but so the audio cuts out because my stereo is still set to play over USB. So is there a way to prioritize in the iPhone how uh, audio is played externally? Because then I have to go to that little Bluetooth icon that's down in the bottom of the iPod player where the volume bar usually is and go back and reselect play audio over the dock connector. So is there any way I can keep this from happening? Because it's really rather annoying. Uh, if not, is there a way I can disable the HTTP Bluetooth audio while still leaving the uh, Bluetooth calling features enabled. Uh, All right. Uh, in now short, you have this. Do you have this in your? Uh, you, you have uh, what is it? Your X uh, X five there or something? Don't you have a uh, Bluetooth audio or no? And, well, I have Bluetooth 
sync for the cell phone capability, right? For, mm-hmm. you know, speakerphone and it pulls down my address book and displays mm-hmm. the caller ID on the screen. And yeah, that X5 is way over engineered. It's crazy. Uh, but for music playback, I have a dock connector in my center console and I just plug into that. Okay. So, and, and that then allows me not only to play audio, but it also allows me to navigate through the playlists uh, and artists and all that on my iPhone using the, the cars interface, which actually isn't quite as good as the iPhone. So I wish there was a way, but anyway, no, I don't have this. Uh, and I consider that, especially after hearing Connor's question, a good thing uh, because the, the, the Bluetooth audio thing gets a little wacky. Uh, as Connor pointed out, I, I looked, I don't think there is a way to uh, prioritize or dis- selectively disable the Bluetooth services available in the iPhone. And I'm assuming, of course, at least with your car, Connor, there is no way to do that um, with the car. So I think the only answer is to disable Bluetooth. Now, uh, this brings me to a, a rant of my own. And again, it goes back to what I was saying before about Apple and their, you know, closed application system. It's trivial right now. The only way to turn off the Bluetooth on your iPhone is to open it up, go to the settings app, go in. I think you have to then go to general and then you go to Bluetooth and you turn the little slider. It's like a four step process. It is trivial for an application developer to create an application that all it does is toggle your Bluetooth or your Wi-Fi or various other parameters on or off. So you tap the application icon and boom, Bluetooth goes from off to on or on to off. And that's it. You're right back at the main screen. Everybody is happy and good to go. Unfortunately, the API through which it is trivial to do this is a private API. And thus far, Apple has not allowed that to be used in any apps for sale through the app store. So, You either need to jailbreak your iPhone to do this, or you need to cozy up to an app developer who has made such an app and have them give you an ad hoc code uh, so that you can install it. But your life will be better if you can do one of those two things because you're able to just toggle this on and off very, very quickly. Uh, So that that really is the only solution. And of course, if you can't get an app that does this, then then you just got to go through the settings app and turn Bluetooth on and off. But of course, that means that if a call comes in while you're listening to the radio, you don't get the benefit of having your car speakerphone on. So, hmm, that's too bad. And I got to imagine. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm thinking technically there has to be a way to to get a finer level of granularity as to, as to the Bluetooth channels from the car's point of view. And then you can tell the car, okay, you know, listen for voice commands, but don't play music. But but I guess the 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 car implementations probably are as unsophisticated as the the one that's in the uh, in the device right now. Yeah, well, what what Connor asked for is actually very reasonable. And that is, you know, right now, the audio, uh, you get to pick what channel your audio is going to go through, either the regular speaker on the phone, the speaker phone on the phone or Bluetooth. Right. That's for voice calling. And then, of course, for uh, music audio, you get the speakers on the phone or Bluetooth. It would be simple for Apple to separate those preferences and remember one for one and one for the other. But right now it's all for one and one for all. So uh, if he wants to use Bluetooth for calling, he then has to use Bluetooth for music playback. And uh, you know, that gets a little bit crazy. So mm-hmm. stinks. All right. Uh, on to Justin. Is that, is that the right place to go here, John? Sure. All right. Yes. Cool. Uh, let me find his question buried here. Hello, 
gentlemen, Justin writes, it seems like SSD drives are all the rage this month. As much as I would like to have one, I'm a bit wary of installing it myself into my early 2008 MacBook Pro. I was wondering if you know of any reliable websites or services that will do it for me. John, Dave, and Pilot Pete, I love the show, and I will see you guys at Macworld. Excellent, Justin. Yeah, cool. Um, I, I did this, John, as I discussed. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh-huh. And one Saturday afternoon, I, uh, my son and I sat down. He was very helpful. And I did this after Pete had done a similar thing. It wasn't for an SSD, but uh, in a similar MacBook Pro. And we, we both have, in fact, you have the same one, right? All three of us have MacBook Pros that are, that mm-hmm. are similar to that. Although Pete now has the 13-inch new one, and I'm very jealous. Uh, but anyway, Pete and his son had done this. And I thought, all right, man, Lucas and I can do this, even though we're a little bit younger than Pete and his son, respectively. Uh, so, you know, we got the iFixit instructions, which are very clear. We went through very meticulously. Everything was good. Lucas helped me skip one step that Pete told me we could skip if you had four hands instead of two, which was great because he was able to hold the keyboard up as opposed to removing it. And uh, we did the surgery on the machine and we put it back together. And then my right speaker didn't work. Uh, and, you know, I was able to uh, massage the situation and Apple care to the rescue, blah, blah, blah. Now my right speaker works again and I have an SSD drive in the machine. But that made me come to uh, an epiphany. And that is, I swear I will never do this again because it's a pain in the neck going in and out of these machines. And it stinks if you break something. And in this case, I'm not sure clearly going in and out was the the straw that broke the camel's back and perhaps more uh, in looking at the speaker assembly what happened was uh the speaker wires are way way at the bottom of the machine we didn't get down that far but you do have to peel off quite a few layers to get to the drive and uh and one of the wires just became crimped uh, i'm not sure if that was because it was laid in the wrong path initially or if somehow I nudge something and put it in the wrong way, I, you know, obviously, like I said, whatever we did was the final was the final straw there. But uh, but I, I wouldn't do it. Uh, and I've got some recommendations as to where you can go to get it done. But, John, I, I, I'm curious as to your opinion on this. Well, I've also been in my machine and uh, and I did something that was rated, um, you know, I'd say I'm fairly handy with a soldering iron and, you know, know to do the right thing, like ground myself and and, and all that. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he, if, if he's comfortable working on electronics, um, it's just, you got to be meticulous about following all the steps in the exact right order. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned, some tips, take pictures, make sure everything is, is where it should be. I mean, there's pieces of tape and if you don't put them back in the right place, you may short something out and all that. So, uh, if you have a good attention to detail, if you're, if you're able to, to stay very focused on the process, um, you may want to give it a shot, but uh, so I don't know. Like, for example, I'm I'm uh, but once you for example, this machine, the, the one that we have, once you get the upper case off, the hard drive is right there. And, and that's a, a trivial thing to pull out and put in another one. It's just the whole process of uh, getting the case off and then making sure you put it all back together again and you don't nudge any or, you know, move anything around uh, right. too much. So um, it, it depends on its comfort level, but. As you found, Dave, there are people that are, are more than happy to do this for you. Yeah. So uh, there, if you want to mail it off, uh, there's two places I would recommend. One is Tech Restore and, and then the other is um, uh, iRescue, right? Uh, both of those places, you can call them up, tell them what you want to do. Uh, they'll probably sell you a, an SSD drive if you want as part of the package. Or you can say, no, 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 I've got my own, you know, ship them everything. They'll do the work. They'll send it back. 
you will pay, you will be paying a premium for shipping in this, uh, but basically you're just paying them for their time to, to go in and take it apart. The good news is uh, they know what they're doing. They do this all day long, every day. And, uh, you know, chances are they're not going to mess it up. And if they do, of course, it's, you know, on their dime, not yours. So that's option number one. Option number two is your authorized, your local authorized Apple service provider. Uh, I've talked to several of these uh, about this specifically, and they're all very happy to do this work for you. Uh, You'll pay them, you know, even if you've got Apple care, you'll pay them. Uh, And you know, for whatever it is, you know, hundred bucks for an hour or whatever their rate is. And they'll go in and, and do this for you. You know, you, you provide the drive or they may be able to sell you the drive off the, off the shelf there, but, but they, they have a lot more flexibility in terms of what they can do with your machine than you would get at say an Apple store. Uh, so your authorized Apple service provider, and there's a website that uh, John, you'll I'm sure find and put in the show notes that, mm-hmm. uh, and Michael, of course, will put it in the AAC for us, but that's the, uh, that's the magic there. Is is those guys? They're, they're very very helpful. I I've I've found I prefer going to them over going to uh, to an Apple store to get repairs done. So you know I gotta say I don't know. There, there's one one guy um, on my Twitter feed. I think he's on your feed too, and he he's just been having the worst luck with SSDs as far as corruption and problems copying things. And um, I guess it depends. In my opinion, I'm not quite ready for, for two reasons. One, I don't know if they're quite ready for prime time yet. I still think it's an early adopter thing, um, and they're expensive, relatively. I'm sure that'll change, and they are implementing features that make them you know, on par, uh, you know, that uh, help the long-term performance of the drive, because they do tend to, problems tend to crop up um, you know, as you use the drive more and more. I mean, they're certainly faster in, uh, in, in many operations than, than your mechanical drive, but... Um, I'm I'm still a bit wary. Yeah, for a for a laptop, I think it's a no-brainer for an SSD. Even if an SSD slows down to half its, you know, original mm-hmm. speed, which mine hasn't yet and I've had it for what 6 months, um it it's still going to be probably twice as fast as the drive you have in your laptop. Those things are dog pig slow it, it's just a fact of life it doesn't matter if it's 5400 rpm 7200 rpm they move slowly uh, they transfer data very very slowly and and it, it's a very frustrating experience uh, as anybody who has a laptop knows if you've if you've done similar operations even on a desktop machine uh, or if you've ever booted your laptop off of an external like firewire or eSATA drive you'll know whoa wait a minute this thing's so much faster why because the, the internal drive stinks so I, I think it is worth it in terms of, of performance, potential performance issues with the SSDs. But uh, but you're right. It cost cost wise, it's it, it's expensive, but I still think it's worth it from that standpoint, because it is the single and I've said it before. It's the single best system wide upgrade I've ever done to a computer. So, you know, and in these trying economic times, spending, mm-hmm. what, 300 bucks. Uh, to get an SSD drive is, <clears throat> excuse me, cheaper than buying a new, a new machine. So, mm. yeah. Uh, where are we on time here, John? Oh, we're moving right along. <clears throat> Anything? Uh, pick, pick the last one, John. You, you've got, you've got about ten to pick from here. Oh my goodness. Um, let's do Brad. All right. I will find Brad. I think I'll find Brad. Hey, there it is. Oh yeah, good. Uh, Brad writes, 
does it do any good at all to move messages to the junk folder in Apple Mail? In other words, is it training mail as I move junk emails to this folder or is it simply an exercise in futility? All right. So let's talk about this specifically, John, and then and then we'll talk about it in a more general sense, Uh, specifically with mail. If you take a message and move it manually to the junk folder, I don't believe that does anything other than moving the message to the junk folder. The way to do it properly is to click the junk button that you can put in your toolbar, go to the message menu and choose mark as junk. You can set what happens then in your preferences. Uh, It will flag it as a junk message and train the filter. And then you can also have it leave it in the inbox or or move it to the junk folder or delete it, I think, is even another option. But uh, but you'll see all that in your mail preferences. So definitely don't just drag it over. Uh, You want to use the the button or the menu item to mark it as junk. And that will uh, begin to train mails filter. So that that's that's the the specific answer. But, John, I know you, you had some some related things you wanted to mention. Well, I just want to uh, I want to plug one product here. So um, uh, so I'm still a Eudora type of guy. You know that I do. Um, and I'm going to use it until it stops working. <laughs> but what I got for it is that so Eudora has built in spam and uh, or some sort of spam filter. And I, I it wasn't that great. Now, I used something before called spam fire. But the, the company has since folded and it's not a supported product. It was kind of a you know, spam proxies, it would download the the mail and then um, filter through it. And then your mail program would pick up from this program. Um, there's something that I use now, which I am totally thrilled with called spam sip. Um, I have not gotten spam in ages. Hmm. Uh, this thing is really, really smart. Uh, it starts off being uh, maybe not so smart, but the thing is you can train it. And, and this uh, spam sip, at least with Eudora, um, does exactly um, what Brad was talking about, is that if there is a message um, that does get through, that spam, if I then go to um, one of the menus in, in Eudora and say junk, it'll then, it, it detects this and it says, whoops, I got it wrong. And it'll actually rebalance its uh, you know, filters and all that to take that into account. And it'll, it'll keep track of you know, false positive and false negatives that... Um, that you the user identify so um and uh, from what i see this this product does work uh with apple mail so you may want to give it a shot and uh and and see if you, if you like spam uh better than what's built into apple mail though i hear apple mail is pretty good it, the, yeah the, the the engine there is pretty good the one the one issue and i used to use spam actually uh when i i still use apple mail but when i first used apple mail i i, I went straight to spam uh because it's even better, like you found, than than the built-in filters. Although mails are pretty good, uh, my problem was when I went to using a mobile device. Now this was two years pre-iPhone. I had a Trio, and I wanted to have spam filtering for that too, uh, which meant going one step up the chain and actually doing it on the mail server uh, and not in the client. And so I uh, we wound up implementing something called DSpam on our our mail server that that works fairly well. But if anybody else has a has uh, any ideas about server side spam filtering, perhaps with some of the you know more common ISPs out there? That would I, I'd love to hear about that because I think that's a that's something of of value to a lot of listeners. So that would be cool. Anything else, John? Before we uh, before we move on with our our respective days, I uh, I I think that's it. It's a good right. start to the day. It's a good start to the day. I like this. 
Got to gotta watch I don't get over-caffeinated here. But, uh, you know, it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Contact information. Yeah, yeah. Audio comments, we love them. Uh, send them, uh, you know... Uh, attach them to an email, and uh, if you were to send us an email, uh, well, of course, if you're a premium listener, which they uh, are, you would like to send it to premium at macgeekab.com. Did you say premium at macgeekab.com? I, I do believe I said premium at macgeekab.com. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the address that uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you should use. Of course, you can also use feedback at macgeekab.com. Yeah, although we'd rather you use premium because that way we know yeah. where the questions go. So uh, 206-666-GEEK is the number you can call. Uh, that will also send us an audio comment. And uh, you can Skype to Mac Geek Gab. That all comes into the same place. Macworld Expo, uh, Justin mentioned it, and we're going to be there. Uh, we have a podcast live on the show floor. February 11th at 1230. That's 30 minutes after the show floor opens. So wake up in the morning, go to David Pogue at 9. I think there's something else happening right after that. And then, uh, you know, get a quick bite maybe and then come in and see us on the show floor. Bring your questions because uh, that's what we want to do. We want to answer your questions live and do a little bit of, uh, of Stump the Geek. So we'll do that for about an hour. Then... We'll, uh, then I'll take a little break and then head over to the West Hall where I'm going to do my Running Your Mac Lean, Clean, and Mean session. And then straight from there, it's to the hotel, quick change of clothes, and off to Cirque du Mac. And if you want tickets to Cirque du Mac, especially uh, for those of us here in the premium group, just uh, visit that special link that we'll put in the show notes and uh, and we'll, we'll 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 see about approving your tickets. So uh, should be able to should be able to accommodate uh, at least all of you here, and, and perhaps even more. So uh, that's all on February 11th. Of course, the show runs the 9th, the 10th. That's conferences, and then exhibits 11th, 12th, 13th, which includes a Saturday. Very cool. iPhonealley.com is where Michael Johnston lives when he's not converting this show. Cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth here. And uh, I believe that gets us out of here, Joe. Have fun, have a good weekend, and uh, don't get caught. Made up.